Welcome to Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, a teaching ministry that focuses on God's unconditional love and grace. We have a better covenant upon better promises, and we have a better relationship with God. All these things we strive for and work for and hope for and pray for, we already have those things because Jesus gave it all to us. And now, here's Andrew. Welcome to our Wednesday's broadcast of the Gospel Truth. Today, I'm continuing to teach on observing all things that Jesus commanded us. And instead of just teaching things that concern us getting to heaven and living forever in eternity, which that's awesome. If that's all there was, that would be wonderful. But the Bible is an instruction manual on every single thing in life. And we're dealing with... Uh, you know, social issues like homosexuality, abortion. But this last week and then this week, I'm talking about creationism, a six-day literal creation as depicted in the Bible, contrasted with what has become popular today and nearly accepted without, uh, you know, any uh, criticism whatsoever, evolution. And creationism and evolution are not compatible. There is no such thing as or theistic evolution. It doesn't line up with the Word of God. I guess people could say it was theistic, but they'd have to say that God did it completely contrary to what He revealed in His Word because the Word of God does not teach an old earth uh, creation. And I know that there's a lot of people that think, well, you can't say that. Yes, I can. I can say it based on the Bible, which is sufficient for me. But you know what? There, are, there is a lot of scientific information that would also disprove the ancient age of the earth. And um, I tell you, there's just a multitude of information on this. There's entire ministries that have raised up to counter all of these lies and things that we're being told about evolution. What I'd like to do today is go back to an interview that I did with Dr. Grady McMurtry. And he's got this series entitled The Waters Claved. I saw a video on this and I tell you, it was astounding to me. And one of the things that he's going to be talking about today, I'll just give a little introduction. He actually does these... Uh, I don't know what the proper term is, but they have used some kind of imagery to find these continental, uh, these uh, ridges that are in the ocean. And you can see where all at one time the earth was all in one continent and these ridges split and divided. And you can see how that the like Africa could fit into North and, and South America and fit in there and that these were broken apart when these ridges came up. And this is exactly what the Bible describes during Noah's flood, how that the fountains of the deep were broken up. And he's going to literally show you these images and show you how that these things explain so much of this sed uh, sedimentary deposits that the geologists talk about. It all happened through the flood, not over millions and millions and millions of years. And as a matter of fact, if you go to those deep rifts in the bottom of the ocean, if they were millions of years ago that these kind of things happened, there should be all of this deposit there, and yet it's not there. So anyway, I believe Dr. McMurtry can make this point a lot better than I can. So I want to go back to this interview that I did with him and play that. And I just encourage you to listen and to receive these truths and let it strengthen your faith in the biblical account. God is more accurate and up-to-date than any of the so-called science 
that's being crammed down our throat today. So listen to this. Please request these materials at the end of the program. Today I'm continuing an interview with Dr. Grady McMurtry, and uh, he's been with us. This will be our third day, and we've been talking about some information I saw on a DVD he put out entitled The Waters Cleaved. And this is about Noah's flood, and we've been talking about how just the information on this DVD that he presented and the things concerning Noah's flood totally disprove evolution. And I tell you, there's some powerful things. So at our program, uh, at the end of our program yesterday, we were talking about the Pangaea and the continental drift, and you were talking about that these stretch marks as you uh, described this uh, rift that goes all the way around the world, that these stretch marks are, are proof that it happened relatively quickly. Right. You also made the point that the uh, deposits at the mouth of every uh, major river in the world only have about 4,500 years worth of sediment. Correct. And if evolution was true and it took hundreds of millions of years, there would be all of this sediment stretched all across the Atlantic, the Pacific, as these things well, move. That's just, see, you wouldn't even see the stretch marks because there'd be mud on top. All right, and but so the my, sheer fact we can see them, and we have what are called abyssal plains, flat sand bottoms right up against the side of the continents, proves that 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 mud never came into the Atlantic in the first place. Okay, so my question at the end of the program yesterday, and I want to start today, is how do the evolutionists deal with this? Well, I think that you said it very well. They refuse to think about it. They certainly censure it from anybody else knowing about it. Even if they know about it, they don't want anybody else to know about it. And if they do know about it, then they make up fairy tales for adults when they're confronted. For instance, think with me for a second. When the continents were fitting together and the hot rock, hot water come up from below. Now there's some other things we need to really take a look at in the Indian that are very interesting, but in the Atlantic here, think with me. When this material comes out from the middle, mm -hmm. then the oldest material should be on the edge near the continents because new material would be coming out of the middle, correct? Right. Uh, so say that again. Okay. I'm not sure I got new, you. Well, new material would be coming out of the middle, right. but as they're moving apart, that means the older material should be at the end That's near true. the continents right. because new material would be coming out of the middle, correct? Mm -hmm. But if, if you do potassium argon dates on these things, and, and I will tell you, potassium argon is not reliable, but I'm simply saying the evolutionists have done this. We've taken uh -huh. cores. And what you find out is the oldest material is in the middle and the youngest is at the, at the edge. That's contradictory to their position, which again shows there's a problem. And how do they deal with this problem? They don't. They ignore it. They have no way of doing it. And of course, you probably have heard about um, magnetic reversals and the Earth's magnetic field yep. has flipped north uh -huh. and south. First of all, that's again a fairy tale for adults. There is absolutely nowhere in the bottom of the Atlantic that you can take a compass and have it turn 180 degrees around. What you have is, the, first of all, doing cores, and this has all been cored, you find that there is a totally random pattern. What you find is that there are strong north-south and weak north-south, and they, they say the weak is reversal. But it's not. It's not a reversal, it's just a weak. And we have actually found that if you have two strongs, you can induce a south in between the two pointing north. So they don't have a leg to stand on with mm -hmm. this stuff at all. And this shows that it all happened very quickly in only one year, as the Bible says. And when you take a look at the Indian Ocean here, here again we have a crack. But notice if you follow the crack back here, now you'll notice there's a split. If we take a look here, you can see there's a split in the Indian Ocean uh -huh. that comes to the Atlantic. 
But if you go to the Indian Ocean, you have a split going east and west, but if you follow that crack north here, it's just one crack, goes to about the equator, turns about 45 degrees northwest, goes towards Saudi Arabia, then it turns, comes right straight down the middle of the Gulf of Aden, and you can see the crack is getting smaller. But it then turns and goes right straight at the bottom of the Red Sea from the south to the north end, getting smaller. But here at the north end at Elat in Israel, that crack turns and goes right straight up to the Jordan River Valley. It goes right straight through the Dead Sea, right straight up the Jordan, right straight through the Sea of Galilee, mm-hmm. right straight up the River Jordan, and starts here at Caesarea Philippi. So is that the end of this crack? So that's where it begins. So, and that's you, not the end, that's the beginning. And so you can say that because of the way it widens out as it goes along? First of all, you can see it starts very, very small, very tight. And of course, initially, what's going to happen? You have tremendous pressure at that point, and a crack starts to form. And it forms what is going south there, the Jordan River Valley, today. Mm-hmm. Turns, forms what is today, the bottom of the Red Sea. And then comes out here, at that point, it is now underwater. Remember, there's one mile of water there now. Mm-hmm. And then that crack comes out, goes here, and it actually goes all the way around the world. We'll take a look at it in the Pacific, too, but it's 40,000 miles long. Wow. It's called, altogether, the entire unit is called the Mid-Oceanic Ridge. But I said that there was a sea one mile deep here, and then there was a mile of water that came up from below, correct? Mm-hmm. What's one proof of that? Well, first of all, you can see it here, obviously. But if you take a look from India to Australia along the south slope of Indonesia, there are two continental shelves. One is a mile deep, and it breaks off and goes another mile deep, showing that as the ocean floor, the water comes out from underneath, the ocean floor sinks, breaks off and leaves a double continental shelf here as well. There's something else that you can see. So the first continental shelf would have been the one that was one mile deep, and then as the water came up, it dropped another. Because a mile of water came in from it, it has to drop another mile. So you've got two continental shelves. And that gives you this double stair step here. And so do you see that anywhere else? You do, because in the Pacific, you can actually see here's a crack coming out of the Indian Ocean and breaking Antarctica off of Australia. Uh Now, on a round globe, which I do use a round globe when I'm teaching this live presentations, you can actually see that Antarctica perfectly fits into the southern coast of Australia. Again, there's some distortion on a flat map. But on a flat map, the distortion. But you can basically see it. It's just that it's not as detailed uh-huh. as it would be on a round globe. Well, but it's still very obvious. But it is quite obvious. And you'll even notice that there are actually double continental shelves along the south slope of Australia here. But the crack goes out across the Pacific, comes up along the coast of California to Alaska, through the Aleutians, through Kamchatka, Japan, the Philippines, comes across New Guinea, out to Samoa, turns 90 degrees at Samoa, goes right straight through New Zealand, and meets itself again here. Now, is there a significance that all of these ridges and stuff are connected worldwide? They show that it was one occurrence It shows a lot of things. It shows being one occurrence. And again, you mentioned double shells. Well, you'll notice that from the Gulf of Alaska, along the south slope of the Aleutian Islands to Kamchatka, you have that two-step staircase. Mm -hmm. There's a continental shelf one mile deep, then it breaks off and goes another mile deep. But the same is true here from Kamchatka, past Japan, the Philippines, China, and Vietnam here. Also, though, if you'll notice, uh, Andrew, the, the western continental shelf of New Zealand perfectly fits the eastern continental shelf of Australia, and you can see where there's a crack here and stretch marks where New Zealand moved rapidly away from Australia at the time of the flood as well. Now, of course, this from here in the Baja all the way around the Pacific here 
and through New Zealand is a part of the Ring of Fire, the volcanic yeah. Ring of Fire. But of course, there's another cry that comes down along here through the Andes that's part of it as well. But you'll notice all these little dimples and dots north of the equator here that are underwater. Those are 20,000 underwater volcanoes. We'd mentioned about how there were so many thousands of volcanoes. Mm -hmm. But you have some like the Hawaiian Islands that actually stick out of the water after the flood. Mm -hmm. But there are thousands and thousands of volcanoes that are underwater. And we can see so many things with this. Now, this is a map of the entire world showing the entire extent. You can see it starts at Caesarea Philippi, comes down the Jordan, down the Red Sea, out the Gulf of Aden, splits here in the Indian Ocean, going around the Pacific there. There's another crack that comes here up the Atlantic. And you asked about where does it end? Well, there's the end right there when it hits northern Russia. It goes sort of past the North Pole. And as I like to say euphemistically, it runs out of steam when it hits northern Russia. <laughs> but all these things are clearly visible. If now, again, the distortion of a flat map. Is this the same point as over here? Well, what this is, see, it comes up here, curves past the North Pole, because the North Pole is not on here. Goes up, curves past the North Pole, and ends there. Okay. That is the end of it right there. All right. And That's of course, amazing. the significance of starting at Caesarea Philippi is beyond belief. Well, I was just going to say that, you know, this is prior to the nation of Israel and stuff, but yet everything is established in the heart of God. Well, There's and, and remember, this, this is where Jesus takes his disciples, mm -hmm. walks them to Caesarea Philippi, says to them, who do men say the Son of Man is? And they say, well, some say you're this and some say you're that. And he says, yeah, well, that's what they say. And then he asks one of the two most important questions in the entire New Testament. Yeah, that's what they say, but who do you say mm -hmm. that I am? Mm -hmm. And he's asking that at the very spot where the crack starts and breaks off three continents. It's the very spot where the Jordan River starts. as clear living water coming right out of a rock. You've been there. That's amazing. Yeah, I've been there. I've seen it. And, and so this is not coincidence. Jesus knew exactly where he was. And of course, as I say, he was there before that crack was. That's right. But the fact of the matter is that this has tremendous biblical significance. And all of this, uh, you were talking about the power of these volcanoes. Uh, uh, I don't want to get you out of sequence on this, but all of this volcano releasing that steam and all of this stuff into the atmosphere, uh, this would account for what is uh, often said by the evolutionist as the ice age, which is well, supposed to be long, Exactly. Long Evolutionists talk about multiple ice ages. They believe in tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of years. The fact is that there was only one ice age. It occurred after the flood of Noah. It was caused by the events that initiated the flood of Noah. Now, so it's, it's not, actually a result of it's, the flood. It's, it's not instantaneous. It's a result of, because what happens is you have this tremendous amount of hot water coming to the surface, mixing with what are already subtropical seas. Remember, the Earth is a subtropical from pole to pole prior to the flood. Mm -hmm. And we have the physical evidence to prove that, too. For instance, in Greenland in 1883, we found fossilized breadfruit trees. Wow. Well, breadfruit trees don't grow in freezing conditions, you know. And recently, we found fossil insects and fossil dinosaurs within 200 miles of the South Pole. Mm. So clearly, it was a lot was... warmer in the past there. Uh -huh. And so what happens is you have this hot water coming out, mixing with what's already there. When you have hot water, you know as well as I do, you have tremendous amounts of evaporation. The hotter the water, the more water evaporates. Mm -hmm. So it's evaporating very quickly. But you have thousands of volcanoes all going off at the same time. 
that causes ash and other aerosols to go into the atmosphere and block out sunlight, which causes the atmosphere to cool rapidly. Now these are the perfect conditions to build polar ice caps because when you have a lot of moisture being evaporated into cold air, you have the perfect conditions for ice snow formation and the polar ice caps start to form as a result of the, being in the initial events of the flood. And then, you know, we weren't there. This is our best estimate. Our best estimate is that the ice age starts initially, but again, it is nothing to be worried about initially. But it actually increases in intensity for probably about 500 years. This would be past the time of the man Job. And the first mention of ice and snow in the Bible is in the book of Job. And then because the volcanoes settle down, the ash comes down by precipitation or gravity and so forth, the sunlight starts to come back in, the polar ice caps melt back to roughly where they are today. And so the whole thing lasts perhaps around 700 years. Now this would be during the time of uh, Abraham, wasn't he? Oh, absolutely. Abraham's a young man at the time that Job's alive. Uh -huh. So, you know, the book of Job is written basically 2000 B.C. Abraham would have been a young man at the time. And, uh, of course, Job's life. Uh, and so, yes, this is, you know, from a chronological standpoint when it's occurring. Well, now, here's a total layman asking a dumb question, but I bet there's a lot of other people watching, watching this whole thing. Most people kind of consider that the Ice Age was like worldwide. Well, and uh, unfortunately, as I tell people, never get your education from government-run television, National Geographic, Discovery Channel, Animal Planet, Hollywood. <laughs> you know, the, the animated movies and the, the other movies that Hollywood has made in recent years about ice ages and catastrophes of that sort make you think the earth becomes a big snowball. But that's simply not true. Well, it couldn't be if Abraham and the things recorded in Scripture, you know, continued on. That right. wasn't during an ice age where they were. Well, let's take a look real quick. Uh, this is a graphic just to show, again, how the hot water coming out from below would allow the continents to move rapidly. Mm -hmm. Now, Gaios in the Pacific prove, again, that the ocean floor sank rapidly one mile at the time of the flood. But here's a chart showing some relatively sized volcanoes of the past. And I do a whole presentation on Mount St. Helens and the rapid formation of the Grand Canyon. And that's 1980. It produced one cubic kilometer of ash. But if you take a look at Krakatoa, the sound heard around the world in 1883, it produced 18 cubic kilometers. 18 now, you times know, I've never heard any of these things. Probably many of our viewers haven't. But I guess all of this is documented. Oh, yes, sir. Okay. Now, Krakatoa is in Indonesia. The explosion was so violent it was heard in downtown London, England. Wow, and this is that's 1883. What, that's 1883, and that's why it's called the sound heard around the world. However, Tambora is also in Indonesia. Again, these are right on the equator. In 1815, it produced 80 cubic kilometers of ash and ejecta. Look it up. 1816, Europe had the year without summer. It snowed in all 12 months of the year in Europe in 1816 because this one volcano cooled the earth so rapidly that in one year we have snow in all 12 months in Europe. Now, when you say Europe, what part are you talking about specifically? I'm talking about the entire European So continent. that would have been London, Berlin, any of those places? Yes. Wow. And, well, it can get much bigger and much worse than that. Well, I've been there in the summer, and I guarantee you, <laughs> for it to snow all 12 months of the year, would definitely be a different climate well, than we Mount have Penitubo now. Mount Pinatubo in the Philippines, again, near the equator, erupted in 1991. It dropped the Earth's temperature, atmospheric temperature, 1.3 degrees in one year. Again, this just shows you the power of volcanoes to cool the Earth.
Now imagine what happens if you have thousands of volcanoes all going off at the same time. You're going to get an ice age. And we know, for instance, uh, the super volcanoes that occurred at Yellowstone and other eruptions were even much larger than this. And of course, this is what's happening at the time of the flood. We have super volcanoes erupting, thousands of other volcanoes erupting. So what would you say at the time of the flood, how many volcanoes? We don't even Hundreds? know. Hundreds? Well, there's, there's in the area of 30,000, 40,000 on Earth today. The vast majority of them are older. Some are new, of course. Well, this may be off the subject, but here's a question for you that I bet you can answer. This whole thing about global warming and stuff, if all of this ash was thrown into the atmosphere and stuff, and yet the Earth recovered in a relatively short period of time, doesn't this suggest that the Earth has a mechanism to be able to adjust and handle these things and it's not out of control. Well, I, I appreciate that, Andrew. I have 40 pages in my book on why global warming isn't true and not caused by humans. Mm -hmm. We can't cool the earth and we can't warm it either one. But the earth has a mechanism to be able to handle whatever's thrown at it. Like God, these God has put in mechanisms to handle this and the two things that drive climate and weather change on earth have nothing to do with humans. Mm -hmm. Sunspot activity on the sun has been documented to be perfectly in line with what happens with climate and weather. And the second thing but is volcanic is, eruptions. But that's our uh, fluorocarbons that are affecting the sun. Nope. <laughs> of course, <laughs> People I, I, can't answer that, can I, they? No, and of course I go into things like that, and including if we're causing the polar ice caps to melt, why at the same time are the polar ice caps on Mars melting? Mm -hmm. It's not us, it's variations in the sun's activity. Yeah, and there's cycles that the Earth goes through. Yeah. I'm sorry, I got you off no, topic No, no, but, but I love that subject because I, I just bury those and environmental so terrorists. And so you have a lot of uh, things on creationism way off the topic of just Noah's flood. Oh, yes. I mean, literally talk on 50 subjects in a, in a moment's notice. That's awesome. But we have a whole two-hour presentation on why global warming is not true That's and not good. caused by people. But this map, you've talked about the ice age that occurred after the flood. Now, this map, regardless of whether you're a creationist or evolutionist, makes no difference. This map shows the maximum extent of polar ice at any time in the northern hemisphere in the past, period. Now, in the southern hemisphere, it's irrelevant because there's nobody down there at the end of the flood. You know. All right, so Grady, the, is this accepted? I mean, would even the evolutionists accept that this is the maximum extent? Yes. And I, I, Now, I've been in Russia many more times than you have, but... I have been between St. Petersburg and Moscow where the ice stopped. Mm -hmm. Ter terminal moraines, just like in Ohio, the terminal moraines. Think about it. This map shows you the maximum extent of polar ice at any time in the past, regardless of whether you believe in creation or evolution, right? Mm -hmm. And you will notice the ice only gets as far south as the Canadian-U.S. border, except for the area right around the Great Lakes, basically, and New England. It covers sea ice, Greenland, Iceland, of course. It covers... Ireland, Scotland, England, covers Scandinavia, smaller portions of northern Russia. But again, the ice never got as far south as Berlin. Mm -hmm. The ice never got as far south as Moscow. And of course, this map also shows us how the people came from the Tower of Babel experience and got to North and South America. They simply walked. But the fact of the matter is that the Ice Age is not n nearly as catastrophic as people have been taught or influenced by things like Hollywood-made movies. It simply isn't so true. So if you accept that idea, well then that uh, lends itself towards evolution or something, because human life couldn't have existed. On today's program, Andrew interviewed Dr. Grady McMurtry. For more information about Dr. McMurtry and his ministry, go to creationworldview.org. 
Throughout this series, Andrew mentions many statistics and scriptures with regard to creation versus evolution. These references, as well as others pertaining to abortion and homosexuality, have been compiled in the Observing All Things booklet, which is Andrew's free gift to you today when you write or call. I'd like to encourage you to get this material. You know, this is different than what I typically teach. I normally just teach straight from Scripture, but we've incorporated into this interviews with doctors who have all of these credentials that can speak to the subject of creationism in a way that I can't. We also have this little booklet that comes with it that has charts and graphs along with scriptures on social issues such as abortion, homosexuality, creationism. This is just, it's a different type of teaching than what I typically do, but it is very powerful. I really felt impressed that I needed to share this with people. These are hot issues that affect us today. So listen to our announcer as he gives you information and please get these products today. Andrew's complete teaching titled, Observing All Things, is available in either a CD or DVD album made from our daily television broadcast. Each of these valuable resources is available for a gift of any amount when you write or call. This entire series is also available for audio download absolutely free from our website. Go to awmi.net to see all the ways you can get this teaching. We want to say a special thank you to the Grace Partners of Andrew Womack Ministries. Your gifts make it possible to put free ministry materials into the hands of many people in need. If you're not already a Grace Partner, we ask you to pray about becoming one today. You can become a Grace Partner or order resources through our website at awmi.net. Or call our helpline Monday through Friday from 4.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. Mountain Time at 719-635-1111. We'd like to point out Andrew's upcoming speaking schedule. Mark your calendars to come meet Andrew at one of these events and let the Word of God transform your life. In the month of May, Andrew will be hosting a special Easter season production titled God With Us in Woodland Park. God With Us is the original love story of a passionate God on a relentless quest to rescue His people. Included at this production is our spring craft show and market. Come early to shop homemade items from our local crafters and vendors. Also in May, Andrew will be hosting our annual Grace and Faith Conference in Telford, England, as well as two additional Grace and Faith Conferences in Woosh, Poland and Frankfurt, Germany. In June, come to Woodland Park for the Truth and Liberty Coalition. Joining Andrew at this event will be speakers James Robinson, Mark Gonzalez, Bishop E.W. Jackson, and Pastor Mark Coward. Then from June 29th to July 3rd, Andrew will be in Woodland Park hosting the annual Summer Family Bible Conference. This event is loaded with activities for the whole family. Guest speakers will include Carrie Pickett, Bill Federer, Greg Moore, Billy Epperhart, Barry Bennett, Stephen Bransford, Paul Milligan, and Pastors Lawson Perdue and Mark Coward. 
For more details on Andrew's next meeting in your area, visit our website at awmi.net. So I started doing Caris Bible College online while I was living in Mexico as a missionary. And it was just so amazing being able to do it at home you know, with young children. We live in a very remote area. My husband and I would um, download the classes into our phones. The online classes are absolutely awesome. You're getting ministered to. You're learning how to minister to other people. It is your biggest return on investment.